listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A cane follow. Boy, branch fires. He converts. Rhymes again. Some basketball with y'all today. For sure. Uh, Sam Asher. Yeah. Uh, my, my, uh, yeah, sorry about that. My name is Sam Conan. Uh, I'm a former sports editor and current senior staff writer at UCLA's student paper, The Daily Bruin. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm in Indy uh, for the games like, like you are, Andy. So looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, and uh, my name is Asher Ali. I'm a junior at Gonzaga, and I'm the sports editor for the Gonzaga Bulletin, which is the student-run newspaper on campus. And I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. Thank all of y'all for for joining me. And I mean, let's get right to it, uh, since this is a pod slam and jam with uh, Houston podcast. So I will start with Houston and Baylor first. But honestly, I'm curious. What are your thoughts? The Final Four teams, obviously, Houston, Baylor, UCLA, Gonzaga. Did you guys think that these four teams would be the final four when the tournament started? I'll be the first to say I didn't really think UCLA would make it this far. <laughs> first four in the final four doesn't happen that much, but uh, it, one seed, one seed, two seed, 11 seed, which of these things is not like the other? I, I would definitely say it. it um, I, I had, I, I, I definitely saw like a few one seeds falling. Um, I didn't see Illinois to be the first one, to be honest with you. Um, that was far from what I, I predicted. Um, and, you know, I, I knew Baylor, Gonzaga, um, and Michigan were all going to be in the mix. That doesn't surprise me. Houston was a really strong team in the first half of the year. Um, to me, that's what that's when I watched them a lot. So their excellent play in March hasn't really surprised me much at all. Um, and, you know, while UCLA is definitely a Cinderella, you know, more of a surprise this season than, you know, many would expect. Um their play in the middle half of the season against the Pac-12 was very solid. So um, all these teams have demonstrated the ability to get to this point. So they all deserve it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with y'all. Um, everybody pretty much expected Baylor and Gonzaga to be mixed and uh, Houston's had a strong season um, pretty much most of the way through. Um, I don't watch a lot of Pac-12 sports uh, until baseball season comes around, so I didn't really understand. I don't really know how UCLA was doing, but I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of glad that they're here. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Sam joining us. So. I'm honored to be here, DJ. Thanks. <laughs> 
Yeah, Asher, DJ, I kind of have a question for both of y'all, but, and, and Asher, I'll go to you first, but really, what has it been like covering Gonzaga? Because they've been like, man, they've been dominating the whole season, and they've just been like, honestly, cruising through everybody. I think, how many games, it's over 20 games that they've won by double digits, I think. Uh, what's it been like covering the Zags? It's thrilling. Um, I, I don't know if maybe people will get the impression that it might be boring or just kind of like laissez-faire to cover them just because of maybe how dominant they appear at some points. Um, yeah, like like you said, Andy, I think doing that, I, I know for a fact the only game that they haven't won by more than 10 or 10 points or more was against West Virginia, um, their fifth game of fifth game of the season, I believe. So, um, you know, really, really strong team. Um, but that's made them a really that's made them a great time to cover, honestly. And the fact that Mark Few has scheduled such tough, such tough opponents for them in the regular season, um, you know, while it may not say it on you know what the record shows, there, there was some par- there was a lot of parody in the games. Um, you know, you had some back and forth. You saw times where they were challenged um, against you know teams as you know as prominent as as a West Virginia or uh, I remember I, I went to go watch uh, Gonzaga play Santa Clara live in the kennel uh, when I covered it and. Santa Clara gave GU fits, man. So, um, you know, as, as a student here too, and, you know, being around a lot of kids who are Gonzaga fans and stuff, everybody's really hyped and, you know, they're like, Oh, this might be one of the best teams of all time. I, I just like to kind of temper their emotions a little bit and let them know, like it's still basketball. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. March is a crazy time of year. Um, but I, I'm just really trying to cherish this time because also getting to see them live in person is something that not many people have been afforded the opportunity to do this year. And with, with a team like GU, um, that that's a real that's a real blessing in my opinion. Yeah, no, Baylor's been incredible to cover. I mean, even when I started uh, at the Lariat a couple years ago, back in the 2019 season, um, they kind of made their run into the uh, 32. You know, a lot of injuries that happened that kind of um, got in their way. And last year was the year that everybody thought it was going to happen. And obviously, with COVID. And, um, canceling the tournament um, it's kind of disappointing um, so this the start of this season everybody was really just hyped up and uh, especially for that GU versus Baylor matchup was postponed in December that never happened <laughs> yeah like Baylor was just had a really tough schedule to start out and obviously just COVID protocols getting in the way and that um, 21 day stretch in the middle of the conference season that where they weren't practicing and people were sick and, uh, you know, getting back from that was really rough. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's been really exciting to get to cover and to get to see. I haven't done a lot of basketball this year. Um, we've had a couple of other reporters uh, taking over just to get out of whole session. But um, it's still been really exciting. And, you know, it's been 71 years since the last time that this program has been to a Final Four. And um, I don't know just how much that means to those guys, that program and Coach Drew and his staff have done a fantastic job. And it's it's been a pleasure to cover them these past like two or three seasons. Sam, I'll let you get the final word here for this first segment, but what has it been like covering UCLA and how how have y'all been affected in terms of how you can provide coverage? I know uh, California probably has a little different rules when it comes to like COVID protocols and stuff like that. Yeah, so it, I feel like it, it doesn't seem too different than anyone else. Uh, 
it was probably more of a difference with football just because that started a little earlier. But once we got to basketball, um, we were allowed to go to the games in person. Uh, and we had the Zoom links like everyone else did for post game. But the, the bigger changes, we, we can only send one writer to games instead of two. Usually we could have a, two editors or a writer and editor and have one person live tweeting and one person writing the story and work more collaboratively that way. But because of how they would space the media area that couldn't happen this year. And then we were only allowed one photographer for the daily Bruin, uh, to, to send them to games, which kind of hampered us a little bit. I'll give credit to our photographers for making it work. We usually have this two, maybe three there for home games and we still got some good art out of it, but I know they were pretty stressed about that. Uh, and I mean, it's COVID everything's going to change. Everything's different. Um, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, for sure, Sam. We were kind of talking about it last night where, uh, you know, what I had to do because we didn't have a photo editor all year. We were going to have one and something happened before the season, before football season even started. And we went the whole year without any photo editor. And then so we had to keep bugging the University of Houston to give us like courtesy photos for football. And then for basketball, what we started doing, like I would take photos in the first half and then edit them and have to hurry up and get it done before the game ended. So we'd have it for a game recap. And then, like you said, have to hop on Zoom. Like we we know how to use Zoom way too much after this season. Um, but coming right up on Pot Slam and Jamma, we'll talk more about the individual matchups. Houston Baylor, Gonzaga, UCLA, final four matchups. Predictions, who we think will win and possibly who will win the national championship coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back on Pod Slime Jamma, presented by Apollo Media. My three special guests, Sam, Asher, DJ, talking about really the final four. All three, or all four, including me, have some type of experience covering each team that has made it to the final four. And for this segment, we'll talk a lot more about the, the matchups themselves. And DJ, I'll, I'll start with you because, you know, Baylor and Houston are going to be the first game. What what do you expect? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll ask you this. What do you think about Houston when it comes to how they match up with Baylor? Um, I think that they're, they're going to provide a challenge for sure. Um, I, like I said earlier, I've covered a lot of basketball this season, so I can't really tell you like specifically any, anything that I think, you know, will come up during the game. But um, I, I for sure think that they're not going to be an easy team to beat or to blow, blow by. And, um, you know, Baylor, despite them playing well, there have been times where they'll get a little sloppy on defense or they won't make shots on offense that, you know, they, they'll have to make. And, um and sometimes they don't get off to as hot a start as they are used to. And so I think facing off against Houston will definitely, um, it won't be an easy win uh, as a lot of people might expect it to be. I'm curious. You, you said that last part where some people kind of expected to be an easy win. Is that the vibe uh, up there in Waco? What, what do they think about Houston? Well, I think um, everybody's kind of excited for it because we were supposed to play Houston for football to start the season. And then obviously that game got canceled, which uh, was 
uh, ridiculous, but <laughs> no, I, I think they they know that Houston is a good team, but I think the vibe around here is kind of just like, oh, you know, we've gone through all of these things. Um, Baylor's had to overcome COVID, and they've had, you know, uh, if it, and if it weren't for COVID, it would probably probably be undefeated uh, up until this point. Um, just you know, those two like really tough losses against uh, Kansas and Oklahoma State and the Big 12 is such a tough conference to play basketball in. Um, but I don't think that Houston is very far behind. Um, I just think that because of all of the things that they've, they've been able to do these past few years, people kind of just expect them to win at this point. That's interesting. When, when, I, when we did our breakdown show last or on we did it on Wednesday. Uh, we kind of I had three different hosts, and we kind of thought that this game could be a lot more close. I feel like, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, I feel like a more like low-scoring game, a physical type of game, will favor Houston a lot more. And if Baylor is able to you know, push the pace more and, and get it, I think the, the magic number for me will probably be like the 70s. If Baylor can like score more than that, threshold i feel like they'll have the advantage or if houston can keep it under that i feel like that'll give the cougars an advantage what do you think about that i think uh, in terms of physicality you're totally right it's it, uh, you know baylor doesn't have uh they've got some really tough players and guys like mark idol and jonathan chamichachua you know playing that post post roles and um davion mitchell and you know obviously the guards are ridiculous on this team yeah. So physically, I think it is going to be a tough game for both teams, and it, it is going to be really close because, I mean, um, you're in the Final Four. Up until, at this point, you should have games where one team is going to take it away by, like, 20 points unless, you know, there's something off about the other team. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe my prediction is it might be, like, around the 80s, maybe like a five point, six point game um, in difference. Uh, it, it could be even closer than that, honestly. Yeah, I believe the spread is, is around five points uh, for the game. Uh, you mentioned like the, the final four teams that are here. You you don't expect the, the game to not be close. Now, Sam, I don't know about UCLA and Gonzaga. I don't know if that game will be as close, but before we get into that matchup, what, for both you and Asher, what's the vibe in terms of Houston and Baylor from, you know, you guys' perspective? Uh, I think it's, it's interesting to look at. Uh, well, I'm sure I'll talk about with Asher, the way that Gonzaga and UCLA match up, but Houston's a, a pretty similar team in terms of how it runs its offense as UCLA. Uh, they're both insanely slow paced. So like if you look at the Kempom ratings, uh, Houston's 328th in tempo and UCLA's 338. So they're pr pretty much right down at the bottom of D1 in terms of how quickly they run their offense. And it's gotten them this far and it's, it's great. And UCLA has been able to get this far by beating teams, by forcing them to play slow and play their style of basketball. Uh, and Baylor, even though on paper is probably a better team than Houston, uh, Houston can play at UCLA's pace. Well, maybe Baylor is, is a little middle of the road when it comes to tempo. They can, they're 
not particularly fast, not particularly slow. Uh, but Houston would be an interesting matchup to see how two of the slowest teams in the country would would face off. Yeah, and, and to add on to that, um, I think where Houston matches up great with Baylor is on defense, um, and especially especially um, in the backcourt with the guard play. Um, Baylor isn't – they're a tough team, don't get me wrong, but they're not a formidably big team um, in any way. And um, Houston is a great defensive team when it comes to guard play, and they, they, they those they're smaller guys on the court. So um, I think you're exactly right, Andy. If they can if they can mitigate Baylor's scoring or mitigate the entire game scoring um, and keep it under 70, 65 – um, at that point, it's anybody's game. I think I think Baylor maybe runs away with it at a certain point if it gets above that. But um, and then and then to Sam's point, I do think Houston controls the tempo better than Baylor does. Baylor does a great job of adjusting to the way the other teams play, and then maybe working off of that to build them, build their own offense. Whereas Houston establishes themselves early, um, usually it's the defensive side, and then they translate that to offense, not necessarily transition offense, um, but they're able to then set the ball and the run plays themselves. Um, and they have some great play calling. I'm sorry, the head coach, I'm drawing a blank on his, his name for Houston, but. Calvin, um, Calvin Sims. Yes, yes. Yeah. He, but he's done a fantastic job this year with um, with really making sure that the guys settle down on offense. They don't rush themselves. Um, and while I don't think they're always taking the smartest shots, they do run very efficient plays to get themselves open when it matters. So um, I think they can I think they can cause fits for Baylor if it gets out of hand. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you bring up. Um, you know, one of the biggest kind of weaknesses that Houston has shown throughout the entire season, they go on these random scoring droughts where they'll go for like uh, an extended period of time where they just can't score. And I talked to another reporter, he covers Houston, and he said that he attributes that just to the lack of diversity when it comes to their offense. He saw it against Oregon State when they went to that 1-3-1 in the second half. Like Houston kind of struggled a little bit to figure that out. And there was a point where, you know, the good thing about Houston is they're not going to rush a shot. Like they're not going to take a shot early in the shot clock. But, you know, they pass, 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 and then the shot clock's running down. They'll just end up taking a contested three. And, you know, they have good forwards with Justin Gorham and Fabian White, who's coming off the ACL injury. Obviously, those two players are going to be the biggest keys, in my opinion, in this game, not in terms of post play, although Fabian White can do that. It'll be interesting to see how Houston utilizes them in that aspect, but just in terms of rebound. So DJ, I'm curious, how does Baylor do on the boards? Yeah, you know, um, we've got some really strong rebounders in guys like Mark Idol and uh, uh, like I said, like our coaches are really good uh, on the on the glass and and even like Macy O.T. will sometimes have a game where he'll get some really strong rebounds and and guys off the bench like Matthew Meyer, uh, Adam Flagler. Um, I think it's it's a big point of emphasis to really contest on those rebounds and 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 you know take opportunities on those second chance you know to get second chance points. Um, a lot of games are won on glass, so I think that's a big point of emphasis for the team on both defense and offense. Um, and even like Kim Mulkey running our women's team, she emphasizes that a lot with our women's team. And I think that the same thing goes for uh, the men's team. It's if you can uh, rebound well, you are doing something right, and uh, and you're not giving up points to the other team when you're getting those rebounds and you're executing on that point. Um, where 
where I think Baylor needs to work on it sometimes in terms of turnovers. We've had games where there was just entirely too many turnovers and, and that kind of gave up three scoring opportunities for opponents. And now uh, there are games where they came out really well, but uh, moving, sometimes they'll move a little too fast. Like you said, they're better at adjusting to the other team's uh, pace of play than setting their own tone at times. And so really settling down sometimes helps them in the long run. But uh, for sure, in terms of rebounds, uh, that's a, a big key to winning a game like this game that's coming up. <laughs> coming right up on Pot Slam and Jamma, we'll talk more about the Gonzaga UCLA matchup. Plus, we'll give our predictions how the Final Four will go and our experiences. We talked a little bit about what it was like covering basketball during COVID, but really for the season in general, outside of COVID, I mean, we're all covering teams that are in the final four. What is that like coming right up on Pot Slime and Jamma? Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back on Pop Slime Jamma, presented by Apollo Media. Sam, Asher, uh, whichever one of you want to take it on first, but what, what, what do you guys think about this Gonzaga-UCLA matchup? Thanks, Sam. Um, this is going to be this is going to be a heck of a matchup. I I think people like the vibe around Spokane at the moment seems like people are people were more concerned about USC than they are now about UCLA currently. Um, I would not be that way, to be honest with you. I think UCLA brings a lot to the table that um, Gonzaga hasn't seen before. Not necessarily things that the team can't handle, but things that are just just different looks for for a team in the tournament. Um, UCLA is as scrappy as it gets in all corners of the game, all facets of, of the game. They are they are tenacious, all is, is all get out kind of. But um, I think what this game is going to come down to, because I think what Gonzaga has really thrived in this tournament, which has been a difference maker, is their defense has really stepped up um, for GU. Um, but so has UCLA. It's UCLA fa- literally found its groove defensively this tournament. So um, you're having two teams that are kind of peaking on the defensive side right now going into it. So I wouldn't be surprised if the scoring is is down. I, I Maybe not quite Michigan versus UCLA levels, but maybe not your typical Gonzaga 90 to nearly 100 points every game kind of vibe that you get when you watch GU play. Um, I don't think uh, UCLA is a great team at not turning the ball over and maintaining possession of the ball. So I don't see Gonzaga um, because they've had a lot of success with turnovers. I think they're going to stifle UCLA's defense or offense, but they're not necessarily going to force turnovers too, too often. So uh, UCLA is actually going to probably have a lot. I I find that I think UCLA is going to have more success keeping Gonzaga out of transition or at least transition from turnovers that way. Um, Where I think GU can excel though, this game where they haven't before is on the offensive boards. Um, and then that turning that into second chance points, because I don't see UCLA matching up very well with Gonzaga down low um, with Drew Tim, with Drew Timmy. Um, I, Sam and I actually talked earlier about how um, UCLA has been, been great at guarding seven foot centers and, and really big guys, but uh, Drew Timmy just, he moves pretty lucidly. He's, he's pretty slick with it. So um, when it comes down to stuff like that, um, I think UCLA might struggle and then the fact that there's, you know, you got four guys in the perimeter that can score from Kispert all the way to Suggs. Um, I think UCLA's guard play at that point defensively may be a little bit faulty. 
Um, once it, once you get away from somebody like Vac, Vasquez or um, or Baquez, I should say. Um, but once you get away from those guys, I think Gonzaga will maybe pull away on the shooting uh, shooting front because UCLA hasn't shot terribly uh, consist great consistently, I should say. Um, this tournament, so that may be where Gonzaga pulls ahead in the long run, but I think this is going to be one heck of a game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. It, the, the number that I look at of Gonzaga averaging, what, 92 points per game is just kind of funny to me. The, the way that I, I watched UCLA all season and covered them all season, and if you look at some of the numbers, like, oh, yeah, they were pretty good offense. Uh, that offense just scored 51 points in the Elite Eight in a, in a great win but that would be a horrifically bad night for Gonzaga by their standards. So it's funny to look at the, the comparison there, but I, I agree with what you're saying, Asher. It's definitely going to be more defensive than, than Gonzaga is used to. Uh, since halftime of the Michigan state game in the first four UCLA's opponents, they're shooting uh, just about 40% from the field, which is, which is all right. That's pretty good defensively, but they're shooting 21% from three since then. So I, I think the way that Mick Cronin has, changed up this defense and just gone all in with the switches and the rotations it is really going to give Gonzaga fits from three, uh, which like you said, Asher, they have four guys who can go out there and shoot it. And I think that's something UCLA is going to focus on stopping. They're going to take care of the ball and try to stop Gonzaga from getting out in transition. They, they run one of the fastest paces in the country uh, and they're going to limit their three point shooters. And that's, what's going to make it a close game. I, I don't know if that makes it a, a, a game that goes down to the wire or a game that UCLA can win, but those are probably the two biggest things that UCLA is focusing on in the scouting reports this week uh, in the film room this week. And they've shown over the past couple of games, they can do it. Now it's just, can they do it against the best team in the country? Sam, I'm going to go back to you real quick, but uh, that Michigan game, holding that team to only 49 points, and Asher kind of talked about it, how good they've kind of found their defensive identity in this tournament. What has been the difference since the tournament began with UCLA in terms of on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think the, the first thing you look at is how they have really found their identity and, and controlled the tempo and because good offense leads to good defense, it goes the other way around. But if you score, then you can set your defense. If you aren't giving up long defense, if you aren't giving up long rebounds, you can set your defense. I think that uh, the way that UCLA has settled in has is all over the board has helped their defense tremendously. Um, but then just in the half court working defensively, they, they've run into a bunch of seven footers in this tournament so far, something that before March Madness started might scare a few UCLA fans because Jalen Hill is 6'10". Uh, he was their starting center for the first half of the year. Or actually, he, he came off the bench, but he played more minutes uh, than, than Cody Riley. But he uh, stepped away from the team for personal reasons uh, in January, February. Uh, he was a, a good shot blocker, rim runner kind of guy. So losing him as an anchor to the defense kind of threw things off. And it put Cody Riley, who, who's a good post player on offense, and he's a big enough body on defense. It, it put him in a position where he had to be a, a defensive anchor somewhere where he didn't really fit that mold. But the way that he's been used in these past few games uh, has, has been tremendous. He's 
been in foul trouble, but that's almost by design. They're letting him get physical. They're bringing in Kenneth Muba off the bench who didn't play a lot during the regular season. They're letting him eat up some fouls. They're staying physical with big men. Uh, they played Colton Cole at Abilene Christian. It was Matt Harms at BYU and it was Hunter Dickinson at, at Michigan. And all those guys were their team's leading scorers, uh, really good on the offensive boards. They all got one offensive rebound and I think they got eight points, 11 points, 11 points. So that, that's really good. But Drew Timmy isn't a, a seven, two post guy. He's kind of a, a do it all guy. When it comes to the, the center position, he's probably more of a power forward. He's almost like a, like an Al Horford kind of type where he can sit middle of the offense, handle the ball, uh, pass the ball well, and also rebound and do things well in the post. So that, that's going to be a change for them. It, it, we'll see if their defense can adapt to that because they had been playing so well against these true seven footers. Uh, let's see how they do against a guy who's maybe a little shorter and has more finesse to his game. I think that'll be the key to their defense. Real quickly, before we, we give our predictions and do our, our round table for who we think will be in the national championship, Asher, what weaknesses does Gonzaga have? Where is the one area where they they could UCLA could make them pay or whichever team meets them if they advance the national championship can make them pay? Yeah, so um, the weakness I have seen from them so far this year, and unfortunately the reason why I didn't bring it up is because I honestly don't see uh, UCLA presenting this problem for them. Um, as Sam said, they do do a great job in the post, but that's from switch. That's from switch defense where they move guys, two guys on ball. They, they give different looks down low and that can, that kind of befuddles some teams um, where I think Gonzaga will stro- struggles down low is when you actually have big guys down there. Um, that's why people were really worried about them. We were really worried about the Mobley brothers because um, they, they have that big kind of ominous presence down there. And, um, you know, and if you can facilitate a guy like Drew Timmy, then um, there's a good potential that the rest of the Gonzaga offense shuts down. We've seen times where Kispert gets, gets, you know, cold and we've seen times where Suggs gets cold and, and you know, everybody else gets cold and Timmy may, may be more passive in some moments, but um, he's a consistent scorer. If you can facilitate Drew Timmy, I think you can really kind of mitigate Gonzaga's, uh, you know, how lethal Gonzaga is all the way around. Um, the one area where I think Gonzaga could potentially struggle against UCLA where we haven't seen him struggle before is if UCLA is good at holding on the ball, but Gonzaga still is as tenacious as they are defensively. Uh, foul trouble may be a problem for some of their top guys. Don't get me wrong. Gonzaga has great depth. That's not one of their weaknesses, but they haven't really played at all this year um, with any of their guys in foul trouble. West Virginia is the closest we got, and we saw how close that game was. So um, I would say if, if foul trouble becomes an issue with honestly any of the starting five, um, actually probably probably say maybe two or two, two guys within the starting five, if not more then that can definitely be an issue for GU, but we haven't seen that yet this year. All right, real quickly, we're going to do a couple of round tables. Um, before we do our predictions, really what's one memory that has stood out for y'all, uh, basketball or whatever you guys have covered in the past, uh, year, really for me, I'll go first. It has to be the Tremont Mark buzzer beater against Memphis to end the regular season. Um, that the shot was crazy, and we—I don't know how it's set up for y'all, but media at, at Houston games, we're like at the top of the the lower level concourse, so you have a pretty good view of everything. And I saw Tremont Mark catch the ball, turn around, and then release it. And the moment it left his hands, I was 
had a camera and I started spamming the, the camera to try to get a photo. And then I look up and the moment I look up, I see it bank in and uh, Houston was doing like 25% capacity, but like it got really loud for the amount of people that were there and, and just the whole vibe. And like, it was crazy. And to end the regular season like that, it's a, a memory that I will never forget. And I actually got a good photo of Tremont Mark, not when he made it, but like him releasing the shot, like I have four shots of it and it's just awesome. But, um, DJ, I'll let you go uh, second just because you've been quiet for a little bit, but yeah. Sorry, my camera was really good. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's just a basketball memory, right? Anything, but, anything. Uh, well, I'm going to stick with basketball just because uh, like my my first game that I covered for Baylor was a basketball game. It was Texas Tech against uh, Baylor here at the Ferrell Center. Um, right across the parking lot. The whole park is right across the parking lot from the Federal Center. Um, but that was like when Makai Mason and Jennifer and Jake and Steve were still on the roster. And uh, it was good. I, I was not a big basketball person before I started this job. And that game was just so like energetic and, and quick and um, fascinating. And I, I had a lot of fun doing it. So from, from then on out, like I really enjoyed coming basketball games. And then our last home game here this season was against Texas Tech. And it was a game that got rescheduled. So um, it was it was kind of like a full circle moment for me covering this last home game at the Ferrell Center being a senior and having Baylor win the way they did. CFC broke the um, Big 12 record for threes and um, it was senior night and they had just come off that game against West Virginia where they won the Big 12 uh, regular season title for the first time in 71 years and so the energy in there was just electric despite the fact that we only had 25% capacity like it was so loud in the building even with the few even though it was it like packed like um, when Kansas was here for uh, game day last year when they broke uh, Baylor's winning streak uh, and, and the, the building was hot and you could not hear yourself speak or anything the energy was the same for this Texas Tech game despite the fact that it wasn't full um, and then uh, just um, like I, I do a lot of baseball so a lot of memories or baseball memories Football's been super fun to cover, like going to the Sugar Bowl. Um, but yeah, like I really feel blessed to get to do this job and to get to uh, cover programs that have really been turned around completely from uh, where they were. I got to write a really cool story right before March Madness started, where I talked to um, Tim Floyd, who used to coach the Bulls. Is that he was kind of responsible in a way for bringing Sinatra to Baylor. Um, he kind of just gave our president, the, the guy that was president of Baylor, just kind of picked up the phone and called him and was like, hey, I just um, met this really, he'd only known Sinatra for like a week. But he was like, you know, you really need to hire a coach you know, right when Baylor was in that scandal that happened, you know. In, in 2003, and I just called him, you really got to hire somebody right away. And, uh, the first person that came to his mind was Scott Drew after having just 
went on a fishing trip with him and uh, his brother Bryce and uh, home Drew. So getting to do stories like that um, have been just amazing opportunities. And so I'm excited for this weekend and to see all of that come to fruition. Uh, so I, I think this, this whole season has been really weird, obviously for a handful of reasons, whether it's on the court, UCLA being up and down or COVID obviously. So there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of ups and downs, but I, I think the the biggest highlight for me getting to cover this team has been this, this past week in Indianapolis, I, I was able to come out, uh, thanks to the paper they sent me out, uh, to, to cover the sweet 16 against Alabama. And then. Michigan in the elite eight, it, it was weird and wild and crazy. And I had a flight booked for Wednesday morning, had to change that up and, and push it another week after they made the final four. But I was happy to deal with that travel stress. The, the singular moment though, I think because you guys are, are talking about having 5% capacity and having some kind of uh, just cool energy in, in your arenas in California, there was absolutely no one allowed, not even friends and family, just no one at any of these games, you could, you could hear a pin drop. So it, it coming out to Indianapolis for these games has been really, it, it's been get, great getting back to that because at, at the end of the elite eight, they beat Michigan. The, the UCLA fans are chanting and screaming and, and going wild, obviously, but these players and, and the coaches too go up to, to the edge of the stands and are, are yelling and, and they're, pumping up the crowd, something like that's awesome. I know Johnny Juzang had a great game as he's walking out, he's waving to all the fans and everything. And as he's going into the tunnel, he, he stops and he just yells, mom, mom, and puts up, uh, he makes a little heart with his hands and says, I love you. And like, that was just such a crazy wholesome moment that we didn't get all season because there was no one there. You couldn't even have family. There, you couldn't have two fans there. So getting the fans back in there, and, and while UCLA is surging was just, it, it, it couldn't have worked more perfectly ended in some great moments. And for me, I, I'd agree that the, the whole kind of so quiet, you could hear pin drop vibe was surreal as can, as can be um, for, for me. Cause for most of the season until I think the last like two regular season games or regular season home games, uh, no fans were allowed in, no family, no friends, nothing like that um, up here in Washington. So um you know, not only is it kind of weird to be in that, I felt like I was almost, it was like my version of the NBA bubble where it's like, you could hear the players talking, you could hear the coaches, you could hear all that, um, which was really cool. It made you feel like you were on the sideline, even though you weren't. Um, but then also there's that kind of reflection where, you know, you realize how fortunate you are to be in a situation like that. And the moment, the specific moment that stands out for me is I went to go cover our like annual, um, like kind of fanfare, like pregame or preseason event, which is called like craziness in the kennel. Normally it's like all these, like all the fans show up and the kid, the kids are in the kennel and it's loud as can be. And everybody's getting hyper basketball season. Of course this year, that wasn't the case. Um, and it was just the first time that people got to watch the team go out and, you know, showcase their skills a little bit. And uh, watching Jalen Suggs in particular showcase his skills was um, something I, I won't forget. Um, like the moment I remember <laughs> there was, it was kind of disrespectful. He dunked over one of his really good buddies in um, and uh, Dominic Harris because uh, they were on opposite sides and he just yammed on him. And it was impressive and it was really cool. But I just remember like sitting there, I was like, wow, like I'm really in a spot where I get to watch this kid, who, you know, at the time was a protected top five pick. Now he's probably a protected top three. And, um, you know, I get to watch this just 
this insane athletic, you know, talent just go out and showcase his skills. It's something I won't forget um, at all. Um, I remember Sam said when we were talking earlier about how, like, he, like to be able to tell like his kids or people in the future that he got to see like a potential NBA star in Jalen Suggs play in his developmental, you know, formative years. Um, you know, that's not lost on me either. So definitely that dunk is what stands out to me. And that's awesome. And we all had like different experiences and we all have that uh, connection that we have teams that, that made it to the final four. And that's crazy. Just like that's something we'll always have. Um, but b- before we wrap up final four predictions, I'll go first. I think Houston Baylor will be a toss up. Uh, I'm gonna go with Baylor to just edge out Houston, um, just in terms of what they've done all season. They've been most of the they've been the more consistent team. And Gonzaga, UCLA, sorry, Sam, but I, I think Gonzaga will will end up uh, probably I say a f- 10 to 15 point win. I, I, that's what I'll say that. And then Gonzaga Baylor, I think Gonzaga finishes off the perfect season. Yeah, I'll, I'll say as, as much as I would like to have UCLA go to the national championship game, derail Gonzaga's perfect season, I, I don't think I see it happening. It can happen. It's March. It's crazy. I didn't think they'd beat Michigan. I didn't think they'd beat Alabama. So who knows? Uh, but I, I don't think that this is when Gonzaga goes down. And then the, the Houston-Baylor game, Houston had, had a – a really good season and, and coming into the, the tournament, I thought they were kind of on upset watch because American didn't really perform to its normal standards this year. So it was kind of hard to gauge how good Houston really was. And it, it turns out they were really good. Uh, but once they come head to head with a, a Baylor team, that's been number two in the country since day one, really, uh, I, I think Baylor is going to take that. And then between Baylor Gonzaga, I have thought this from the beginning of the tournament that no team will ever go undefeated again. Uh, so even though Gonzaga is the better team and probably should beat anyone left, I'm, I'm going to have to pick Baylor to, to win it all just because I, I, it would blow my mind if they went a perfect 32 and out. I mean, it could definitely happen, but I'm going to go Baylor just to, to switch things up and avoid the undefeated team. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> um, yeah. I think- for starters on Saturday, Houston Baylor is going to be a really close game. Um, I'm going to say the Bears win like just by a hair, you know, like we said, like five points probably. <laughs> and um, again, sorry, Sam, but we're, we've kind of been waiting for this Gonzaga matchup all season. Um, we really, we're really excited for it. And it, it's just, even if uh, Baylor loses, which I mean, Knowing them, having covering them, I think they, they do have the potential to win. Um, if they do, it's going to be crazy. It's gonna be something crazy will probably happen. Um, but just in terms of Gonzaga's offense being a little more consistent, um, I, I kind of, I'm going to say Baylor wins just because they're myself, but if Gonzaga wins, it wouldn't be a surprise game. And for me, um, I guess I'll start with, with the GU UCLA matchup. Um, I, I also would have Gonzaga winning that game. Um, however, I don't know if you want to call this a, a hot take, probably a mild take is what we'll call it. I think it'll be a win of under 10 points. I don't think they, I, I think the spread is 14, which I think is awfully high um, already. And I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would probably take that bet, um, the under. But 
Um, I, I, do, I, I think it's lower than 10, to be honest. I think at some point in the eight and nine range is the win. Um, and then as far as Houston Baylor is concerned, um, I don't think Houston has played a team as, you know, as relentless as Baylor um, this tournament, at least. Um, so I think, you, you know, and, and Houston's battled through a lot. Like they played a really tough Oregon state team that was full of fire and uh, they've just, they've, they've gone down the stretch playing really well, but I think Baylor like maybe just out loud. Um, I, I do see a Gonzaga victory. Um, Baylor is going to battle to the end. Um, I think this game also gets high score. I, I think Baylor gets their offense like jump started against Houston and then rides that into the Gonzaga game. If anything, I think they'll get out ahead of GU and maybe even finish the first half ahead. But um, I would take Gonzaga just maybe, you know, really digging deep at the end because they've shown ability to do that despite being super talented. Um, they can dig deep and I think they will in that second half and pull through with the undefeated national championship season. I, I do believe that. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description. Check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. Before I close out, let me just say again, thank all of you for joining me and, and, and doing this. This was really fun. So we'll see um, by the end of Saturday, two of us will be covering a national championship game and the other two will, well, we'll probably be sad because the season's over, but thank y'all. Like I really, really appreciate it. It was fun. And you know, who knows, maybe we'll see each other down the road, but that's going to do it as always. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back on our next episode of pod slime, covering your university of Houston Cougars.